Good morning. Good morning to this first uh, breakfast session at uh, the European Health Forum Gestein 2022. Um, and um, one of the most important meals of the day, breakfast. Uh, and we'll be talking about food, um, but um, hopefully you'll find time to also enjoy the breakfast. I mean, the food and not just the words. Uh, because um, you need actually to eat in order to enjoy the energy that it gives. Um, and joining me here, um, three speakers in the panel, as you see, and we have two more speakers. They, they are not participants. They are actually speakers joining us uh, from Copenhagen and Palmer, uh, both very rainy and dull places that they wish they would have been in, in Gestein, of course, but uh, still. Um, with us too. Um, joining me here um, physically is then um, five good speakers. But before we begin, or rather while I'll be presenting them, uh, allow me to, um, to, to point to our slider, um, because uh, what we'll be talking about today is, of course, sustainable food and co-creating sustainable food systems. So what is sustainable food? And what do you think about when we talk about sustainable food? Um, if you go to slido.com, you'll be able to see uh, using the hashtag Stella, uh, our poll about sustainable food. And you'll be able also to, uh, to well, use your analytical skills to try to figure out um, with five different cases, um, what would be the sustainable choice? Because a lot of um, of what we are be talking about today is obviously about choices also. So please go to slider.com and look at that while maybe also um, unfolding your ears so that you can listen to our good speakers. Welcome. Um, joining us, uh, from outside Gestein, Domogoy Voss from uh, EFSA. Welcome, Domogoy. Can you? Yes, good morning. Happy good to morning. be with you. Uh, Pika Jokalainen from Copenhagen and the One Health EJ, uh, EJP. Is that the way? Toxic sources. Um, and uh, in my panel. Dorota Sinkovic of the EuroHealthNet, Solvay Langswood from uh, Safe Consume uh, and Norfim, and Milka from uh, obviously the European Public Health Alliance. Lovely to be yeah. here. Yeah. And without further ado, let's see uh, low environmental footprint, good for environment and health. Um, so nothing about taste necessarily, um, but uh, obviously should tastes like something, I suppose. But we'll allow the, the slider to continue while we kick off with uh, the panel uh, here. And the first of our different themes that we'll be diving into, uh, and we'll be having three rounds, would be food trust. Because a lot of what we talk about when we talk about sustainable choices is, of course, also whether we trust the food that we uh, eat, uh, either from the sources or from the content. And especially uh, on food trust, um, Domogos and Milka has uh, agreed to help us talk about food trust. And especially, of course, in a international and very globalized food system, 
what does trust actually mean and how can we actually meaningfully talk about trust? And uh, let's start with from Palmer, Domogosh. Thank you, um, Lars, and thanks again and uh, good morning to everyone. Yeah, I think a very uh, interesting and difficult topic to start with, but I think um, the point is that uh, it's not very easy uh, when it comes to trust and food because food is different because in food you have both the passion and the duty component in a way you have you know eating is a pleasure but you also need safe food and you want to trust the food chain so it's not uh, a simple task to gain trust and to talk about trust of consumers that said um, the most recent data and uh, at least when it comes to food risks, shows that the majority of the actors from farm to fork do enjoy quite high level of trust of citizens. This is particularly the case for scientists that work in the regulatory domain, consumer organizations, farmers, but EU national authorities, EU authorities, national authorities, and NGOs are up there as well. So I think the sheer fact that people are aware of the complexity of something like the food safety or the food systems in general show that there is an attention to this and that we cannot simply boil down trust. Someone says, you know, is it just about knowing the producer or the company? It's not, you cannot boil it down to something that simple because food is very multidimensional. So in general, I think there have been some positive trust in trends uh, in the food risk area and food industries have seen this in well. And I think it's a reflection of what we will be discussing today that, that we are giving more and more attention to different facets of food and it's not more just about safety or taste or nutrition. It's also about uh, environmental impact, uh, carbon footprint. So the, the story gets more complex, but as it gets more complex, um, there's also more room for, um, I think, improvement and work of everyone across the food chain. Um, the other thing I always say and uh, is that we've just been through a pandemic that has seen a lot of, uh, let's say, challenges to trust. Food has not been that central to the, let's say, the public discourse of pandemic. So we could say that, for example, food safety sort of persevered the pandemic. And that might also be the that might also be one of the reasons that there has been an increased attention to the trust and the discussion on science, but not so much in the area of food safety. So I think we can build in the food on some lessons that we saw during the pandemic to apply them and prepare also for future uh, uh, challenges that, when it comes to food. So, yeah so much for me on this first thought. Certainly a complex issue. Uh, so food is uh, definitely not simply an additive, or maybe it's definitely not an additive. Um, so Milka. Well, I'm, I'm delighted that we are starting with the issue of trust because the trust is key to positive relationships and, and central to how we behave and how we interact with others. And trust becomes even more critical in the times of crisis, and we do operate in the times of crisis. Um, the multi-crisis that we now find ourselves in, so the pandemic, the climate, the cost of living, the food security, you name it, puts both the trust and the food systems under additional strain. And I think the trust in food systems is especially um, complex or in food in general, because as Domagoj says, it involves a number of different stakeholders and it, invol it involves a number of factors. Um, I would just like to point out to a recent um, research conducted by the EIT Food um, Trust Tracker project um, that um, surveyed 20,000 people in 18 countries in the European region. And apparently trust in the food systems actors 
are is highest when it comes to farmers and then retailers and then followed by manufacturers and governments. Well, Domago is is, um, stressing scientists and consumers, and that's a whole uh, other kind of section of of stakeholders. Um, But I would also like to make a point here that that kind of trust uh, in farmers and retailers that is in the leading position is actually only about neutral. So we have to do a lot of good work to earn trust. Um, When it comes to different countries, the Finns, Spaniards and Brits um, actually enjoy the highest trust in their food system. And in 2018 and 19, when this study uh, has started, the lowest trust in the food system was in France, Belgium and Germany. And now um, the lowest trust uh, trust is actually taken over by uh, Czechs and Turks. Um, People are most confident in food taste and food safety, which is a good sign for for EFSA, I would say. And then it is followed by healthiness, authenticity and sustainability as the last. So that's telling. Um, And so starting off this discussion, I would like to stress that only when trust is strong, we can take people on board and we can lead towards a change in behavior and towards healthier and more sustainable food systems. Well, you also then touch upon a very important issue, which is that trust uh, evolves. Uh, It is not a sort of a a static element that you can simply count on. And while trust in farmers might be high or neutral. Or neutral, yeah. Neutral high. um, It's not uh, a constant. Uh, And um, we have a food system that's very much evolving too. How can we then, I mean, even with EFSA, Tomogoy doing his perfect job and doing what they can. Um, How can we then continue to to maintain that trust? What's the needed elements if we're coming from a a, um, starting point that's only neutral? Yeah, well, trust is a very sensitive thing, a very fine and complex phenomenon. And unlike uh, or despite the common narrative, it cannot be built. We can't grab bricks and... and, and, um, uh, cement and build trust. We have to earn it. We have to deserve it. Um, and I, by we, I mean each of us stakeholders. Uh, and we can only deserve trust based on our competence, on our honesty, and on reliability. However, we operate in a swirling nightmare of information quicksand. So we operate in a world where uh, we have never have had such access to information and knowledge. And yet we have never had such low levels of trust or distrust, uh, a lack of awareness, and our behavior is heavily influenced by misinformation. So to close that trust gap and to earn uh, trust, we must keep translating science into, let's say, digestible packages or, um, you know, pieces of information that that people can make sense of. But that's just the first step. Um, To earn trust, we need to persist, we need to be honest, we need to be reliable, and we need to start listening before talking. Listening before talking. We can see from the Slido that uh, a lot have actually focused on the environmental uh, part of of sustainable food, which means, I suppose, also that it would be a really good idea to move on to the second question in the Slido, um, because um, sustainable choices and when it comes to environmental 
friendly choices. We have five different um, choices to be made or five different types of foods. Um, and you try to choose wisely. Well, just this is like the supermarket. You go choose uh, different food items. And which of them would you actually think would be the more sustainable choice? Um, I'll admit we'll have cheated a little bit because some are more environmentally friendly than others. But still, it's uh, these are only five choices. And normally when you're in the supermarket, I would dare to say that you would probably choose more than five. Um, so trust, and but that also sort of mean that in a way, since it can't be built to say, uh, it can only sort of be, be um, slowly evolved. So we have the trust we deserve, I suppose. Sorry? We have the trust that we deserve. We have the, the trust that the we sum deserve. Of all yes. of, yeah. So, on yeah. The, so in, in that study on the scale of between one and seven, where, where one is very low trust and seven is very high trust in the food chain, the trustworthiness of the majority of actors in the food chain is around four-ish. So that's, well, neutral at best, right? Mm. So we have to work hard to deserve it. Does that then um, provide a, a sort of a, a huge encouragement to go to work every day, Domagosh? I mean, there's, <laughs> there's certainly, I mean, uh, obviously uh, having a perfect 10 might be tricky, but... Um, there's a lot of work to be done still um, over time. Mm. Does, yeah. does that really motivate? First of all, everything Milka said is a music to my ears. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's interesting, the EIT study and EFSA will be publishing the new Eurobarometer data, which confirms a lot of uh, what Milka has just said, um, um, especially about the neutrality of the trust in some of the manufacturers and uh, let's say more the producers. Uh, the other thing I want to pick up is, um, is on the fact of building trust. I mean, this is a million euro question. Uh, the problem is that, another problem, the challenge is that there are many types of trust and then there's many factors that influence trust. And one, one if not the most important factor is that people, uh, some people are just, they trust more in general and others not so easily, regardless if it's food or anything else. Um, the character is quite influential when it comes to trust and also building confidence. I really think, and I agree with Milka again, that the only thing that institutions and entities can do that work in the food area is to try to behave in a trustworthy manner. And not, I wouldn't say hoping to gain trust, but uh, trying, to be, trying to put processes and actions in place that are trustworthy. And we can unpack what that means today, for example, for an organization like EFSA, I give it an example as we were, when we did our strategy last year, we actually placed the trustworthiness in our first strategic objective. You know, Our objective is to deliver trustworthy assessment and communication of risk. So we really see it as a priority, but what does it mean when it comes to science of food, of communication of food? I think it's about being participatory throughout and including uh, input from people that we deliver throughout the process. So uh, it's about having also the, let's say audience driven approach that you understand the people you work for. So these can be the customers in the food safety system, the partners of the stakeholders, even the public at large. And when it comes to consumers and Milka also mentioned about translating uh, science into palatable packages. I mean, the role of the risk communication in when it comes to food is also to make the information 
not just relevant, but also accessible to everyone. And I, I think this is why we see a bit of a shift in the food safety communication and scientific communication in general, also, of course, backed by the general food law. But we see more use of social media and discourses on social media on food and food safety. We see more communication campaigns. We see people trying to link what are complex scientific matters to everyday food topics. And I think this is a positive trend. And I think we should continue. We shouldn't be... Um, downplaying science, science, but we should be trying to explain science in a way that is relevant and accessible and interesting to people. And it is interesting. It's super interesting. So remember what I said in the beginning about passion and duty. I mean, it's a communication challenge to try to reconcile the two, but I think it's also an obligation, especially when we move around, when we move towards the sustainable food system, where the duty is not just food safety anymore. The duty will be also sustainability, uh, so the, the the fact of what has to happen is is enlarging. And even if sustainability nowadays on a new average is not the first factor that people will consider when they're buying food, because we have pressing factors such as prices, we have personal factors such as taste, we have the food safety, it's still growing. And there are countries in the EU where this is quite a high factor in importance. So we need to consider this, um, what we are discussing also today in the panel, as probably the sustainability of the food system becoming one of the determinants of the trust uh, in food uh, in the years to come. Well, you mentioned, Milka, also the trust or the possible trust in scientists. And uh, it's nice to see that we also indeed have two, and I'm not um, sort of uh, pointing any fingers at anyone particularly, but at least two <laughs> recognized scientists uh, from at least two science projects in our panel, uh, Solvay and Pika. Um, from what you've uh, researched or, or looked at, um, one of the elements of trust is, that, of course, that it's, it, it differs across Europe, uh, but it's also a matter of um, that the trust might be highest with your local products or producers, uh, yet our products are not necessarily local anymore. Um, how does that influence maybe Pika or, or uh, Solvay? How does that influence the trust uh, have you found so far? Or the the trust or the feeling of safety when they actually uh, go about, well, consuming? Well, I can maybe start. I think, yes. uh, I mean, you basically said it. So that's the thing, like, um, how well do the consumers themselves and how well we as researchers, when we, we try to formulate research questions, how well do we actually understand how it is? that uh, what is local food, uh, what, what are the consumption habits actually in different countries. And um, my research project, Toxosources, works on, on a specific foodborne pathogen. And we did a large survey, a multicenter survey in, in Europe, looking into this with specific questions for that pathogen. And there were quite uh, a major differences exactly in, in uh, by, by region in Europe. So I think it's uh, both for the consumers, but also for all the work we do about it. It's, it's important We've to lost audio, I think. You lost me? No. Well, we have an audio issue, sadly, Pika. Oh, no. With you too, Tom. Can you oh, hear me? Yes. Try and again. I heard, I heard Pika. Yeah. Okay. That's good. We didn't. Sorry. I think I, I didn't. Maybe it's just my ears. Sorry. Um, but um, it, I can, I guess um, you can confirm that too, Solvay. I mean, the, the challenges of, of uh, both understanding the complexity uh, of the food system and trying to 
to, as you said, Domogoy, and try to have a lot of very complex issue boiled down to a very simple choice sometimes, which is almost an impossible exercise. Yes, and, and we see that, that people trust these this local foods, but at the same time, it, it's not in accordance with the real risk. So, so uh, I guess when it's local and natural, people believe it's, it's, it's safer mm. than it's actually uh, is. And, and that's, of course, uh, a challenge explaining that maybe when you, you, you use these backyard eggs or harvesting your own mussels or something, than the industrial produced food. So I guess that's a challenge also. Well, it ties very well into our next theme, which would be food system literacy, uh, understanding complexity. We, are, we, are, we want people to trust the food that they have to choose, but uh, we also ideally want them to understand that complexity uh, when they make those choices. That, that requires a high level of, of food literacy. Can we actually expect Pika people to understand that complexity when we make those choices? We, we uh, build a, we as an industry or we as a society build a very complex system and we demand of people that they understand that complexity. Is, is that really a, uh, an expectation that we can meaningfully uh, have um, of them? Yeah. Do you hear me now? Yes. Perfect. Yes. There was just something. So uh, I think this is a really good question, and I think it should be approached with some kindness because indeed those food systems, food chains, and all the systems around it, they are really complex. But how I try to see it is actually that that complexity gives a lot of opportunities for everyone to contribute uh, to our common understanding of these. And actually, I feel like we really need to collaborate and talk together like today on this uh, breakfast about these things and bring the different point of views. So my own background, my focus, I'm happily biased to, to use a one health approach a lot. And that's actually really about how the health of us humans, health of other animals, health of the environment and ecosystems, how they are linked. And I mean this, that's, I mean, I cannot say that I understand it all. And I have some understanding and I really need to talk with other people and, and together we create the understanding. And everybody also needs to understand what they don't know and, and we can all learn from each other. So if, if we have a fairly complex system of, of producing the food, uh, is, it, is it then a good idea, Dorota, maybe to introduce even more complexity in mm -hmm. trying to collaborate across different systems, across borders, across, across all kinds of institutions to go forward? Uh, people need to trust uh, not just the local farmer, they need to trust international institutions, they need to trust scientists. There are so many people to trust and they just want to eat. Uh, how how yeah. can we understand, I mean, meaningfully also, to use complex system to solve complex issues? Uh, yes, thank, thanks, Lars. That's a, that's a very complex question, I have to say. Well, um, it's early morning and they are eating, so... <laughs> yes, and everybody had a cup of coffee or tea. Um, is it a good idea to, to introduce or inject into the system even more complexity? Um, uh, yeah, that only uh, calls for answer yes or no, uh, and it's a difficult, uh, yeah, to just... Uh, Maybe black we should and white just go here. back to having local producers producing their local products. That would be romantic and idyllic, wouldn't it? 
and awfully boring. <laughs> oh, yes, maybe two. And you could, wouldn't get those muscles, those, those wonderful muscles from France either. Or whatever. Sorry. Yes, uh, sorry. I was, I, was, I was going to talk about, uh, um, yeah, uh, empowering citizens. And consumers uh, to be part of the solution, be part of the system, uh, be part of the sustainable and health promoting uh, food system in Europe globally as well. I mean, it's not uh, just a part of uh, you know we're just living here in a uh, in a bubble. And you, you've mentioned uh, two other projects uh, that are um, ongoing. Uh, I come here today with. Uh, not only as a representative of you know HealthNet, so sure. you know my my take obviously is uh, you know how to how to make sure all the citizens, all the consumers can be part of the solution and are empowered, and we uh, we we work together on giving them the skills, um, uh, regardless their socioeconomic status uh, and the inequalities uh, they face while, of course, uh, reducing those inequalities. But I come here also um, uh, with, with another hat. Uh, we are part of a, of a new, uh, newly launched project called FEAST, which is actually the, the focus of it, the aim of it is to uh, support uh, consumers and support the food systems to uh, to transit towards the, the, the health and and yeah sustainability uh, so that we are working towards um taking on the current loose 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 win systems where we have you know profound uh, profits going to the the food industry pockets while uh we have to deal or we, we are left to deal with the uh, profound negative consequences for the health, uh, society, and um, the, the public uh, sector, I'd say, and uh, the environment. And the project aims really to 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 work towards the uh, solutions that uh, win, 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 win. So quarter win. We we used to have a project in uh, in your health net that was working towards the triple solutions: health, equity, environment. Now that's a let's for uh for wins so yeah and 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 really the uh, the co-creating the solutions with the citizens at the center uh is uh, is the key here so for that we have to obviously understand the barriers the facilitators um and what would it be for everybody to uh, to move along uh for uh for the system uh, not to leave anyone outside uh, offered, but everybody is uh, is kind of taken uh, and and supported um, on the way, and there are multiple ways to to do so. Hopefully, and and um, the project is going to uh, find out even more so and exchange the good practices and, and scale them up and uh, roll them up uh, across uh, um, the EU. Yeah. And I just go um, quiet here, but I'm. Very good. But um, empowered citizens, I mean, um, and you feast, what a wonderful uh, uh, title for a project. As you see with our projects within food, there's often with catchy titles, feast, safe, consumer, toxic, or maybe not, toxic sources. <laughs> toxic well, authorities, it, yeah. Yes, it's, but it's important still. Um, but uh, empowered citizens, um, is a, again, it's an awful lot of complexity that we, we place on these individuals. Um, there must be a huge role also for the system as well to, to 
to navigate that complexity. So all of the choice is not on the consumer. Um, is it is it actually possible for people to contain? I mean, even as a scientist, PK, trying to understand, uh, in your case, toxoplasmosis, that's pretty darn hard. Uh, so how can we expect people to understand that? I mean, the people here, they only had five different food sources that had to rate from the sustainability, and that was quite hard for them. I would turn the word hard to more like interesting. So that's the thing. If there's something that is complex and challenging, it's it's like uh, there's just so many opportunities to look at that and and uh, yeah. And then we need to work together. So I would just repeat that that it's not sometimes. I mean, we cannot have the full view of things, and we often. When different fields come together, there's the challenge that there's no common language for that. So it might be difficult to understand each other or to put these different aspects, like how do we value, how, how important are they? Because we all are biased from our point of view. And I think to bring these different biases together, that's the, that's the wonderful uh, mixed uh, salad to eat. Yeah. A mixed salad. Um, and then, Bolberg, um, Speaking of mixed salads, one of one of the things that uh, the Safe Consume Project has looked at is actually the the the, um, the culture of mixing those salads, maybe <laughs> uh, across Europe uh, and the actual consumer practice. I mean, are these choices uh, that we're talking about those safe choices, sustainable choices? Uh, does does that translate into some safe uh, behavior and across uh, Europe in European kitchens? Are, are consumers, and this is a misleading or rhetorical question, I suppose, are they created equal? Um, like, do we find a common practice across Europe? Uh, yes, and now, and it, it's interesting when you say which countries where you have high trust and low trust, and actually it's uh, maybe those countries with, with high trust where people are also most aware about food risks and the, the practices are safer than in the countries with low trust and it's kind of strange but but i guess it's a uh, maybe a fundamental part of the culture uh if you trust uh trust everyone around you uh, and everyone is very aware of risk then you will also everyone have these practices um so um it's a, it's a lot of things for people to know about and learn, and in Safe Consume, we are working with uh, with uh, uh, tools that can help consumers. Uh, we're working with information, but maybe the most important and most most uh, difficult part is to improve the skills of people. And then we have to go to the education system. I think because it's it's not just telling people what to do, but they really have to understand what they should do, especially now. Uh, when we had COVID, now with the new crisis that we have, uh, you need an understanding because uh, it's so many different ways of making food and so many different food choices. So you really have to understand how to, to prepare food safely, not just learn a rule uh, through journalists. I guess that's where people learn about food safety these days. Uh, it's in the media. So something that goes a little bit beyond just simply putting a new trusted food label yeah, EU food label. Yeah. But would, um, in in your view, Dorota, would that element, that education, that empowerment, would that actually solve the issue? If only we had, uh, if only. It's a it's a 
wish, it's Christmas wish. If only we had informed, empowered consumers, would we then have a sustainable food system? Well, a very quick and, and um, rough, let's say, answer is no. I mean, just investing in skills, uh, literacy, competences, uh, it, it's just a part of the of the solution. It really has to be embedded in the in the wider, you know, the living conditions of in which people then are able or uh, not able to uh, to apply the knowledge that they have, you know, the, the income that they have to to their disposal to to go to a supermarket or to a, a local uh, fresh uh, fruit and vegetable market if there is any in the neighborhood so it's really it's it's just just really one element so it has to be um built into uh, yeah a more, a more comprehensive um system around people with the people at the center to really understand their needs and and uh, um you know how, how they the choices are made and the information is applied so for example the new initiative from the WHO, the Behavioral and Cultural Insights, here comes to to help the GRC is also taking up uh, uh, on it. So, yeah, I, I'd say this is uh, um, really in addition to already a, a, a plethora of of work, the research work going on in Europe uh, on how to how to do that. This is yeah. So the education skills, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's good, yes, but it's not just the only the, the silver bullet uh, in this case yeah and actually i just add something because um recently we um well just like probably many other uh, stakeholders uh present here participated in a consultation to the sustainable food systems uh, framework initiative uh, put on the table by the european commission and just uh, last week the outcomes of the uh, consultation came out and interestingly, I mean, the, the, the majority of the respondents really agree that it is not even sure that provision of information on the sustainability would uh, accelerate the transition to a sustainable food system. And 84% of the respondents, so that really a lot of, uh, like many, many people agree that uh, educated sustainability label of food. Uh, so there's like still um, a kind of mixed messages while they think, it wouldn't really accelerate, but they think it would help. So hmm. from the consumer's perspective, they, they think there should be something done, uh, but not just like a one-off, uh, a new label put on the uh, on the product because that would add to the crowdiness of the, of the health claims, hmm. uh, you know, food composition and ingredients on the label already. So we have to be smart in, in how uh, we want to convince um, where ourselves uh, uh, in, in this process. So we are putting our consumers in a fairly challenging situation, Solvive, when they when they try to navigate um, well food safety and sustainable food, and and even while we're doing it, maybe we're just giving them we're outsourcing the responsibility for the food system to them, uh, and and not be able to simply solve it by by having them solve the issue for us. So there's an issue here also, I suppose, of, of policies uh, and the design of policies, the food challenges that we face, are there simply sort of uh, design flaws? Sorvai? Could we design our way out of, um, or empower our way out of it? It's simply a way of either educating or designing better, and that would be the solution? Uh, yeah. I think we've tried that for years to just provide 
safe food, but it is really challenging. Uh, for example, for eggs, uh, that's on the top uh, of uh, foodborne outbreaks when it comes to when it's happening in the home. Uh, and of course, uh, it has been an, an improvement in the, in the safety of eggs, but still it will never get to, no, to, to zero. And about, well, I think it's 26% of people eat eggs from backyard hens and what they get locally. So, so the policy makers can never really <laughs> make it to a zero level. So, so I think we have to also not blame the consumers, but, uh, but we, we have to have this last line of, of defense in the food system. Mm. Mm. A last line of defense in the food system. But, <laughs> but then um, talking about the food system and design, um, let's move on to then talking about, I mean, we're here at the European Health Forum Gestein talking about policies. Uh, so the design of better policies, I mean, there seems to be a, a challenging issue here about people wanting something that might be local and trusted that's easy and simple for them to understand, yet the system that we are building is around them is very much not so. Um, and uh, demanding of the consumers that they can uh, tackle all those choices is hard, especially if we don't provide the education that they need for them to navigate. Um, designing better policies, I mean, especially, I suppose, some of the people in the room are used to working in a place we call Brussels. Mm -hmm. um, how can design of better policies actually, and where would you say um, we should try to focus some of those efforts? And we're, we're talking perhaps about you also, Domagoy, but we're not talking about your work, but perhaps the framework within uh, that you're working within. Yeah. Can I try Dora, to, to yeah, make please. a link? So I would like to, to pick up on what Dorota was saying and then also Sulvey. Um, literacy, knowledge, education, it is not the answer. It is important. We need to empower people by knowledge, but it is not um, the solution because it leaves the responsibility on the individual level and we cannot afford that. We need to zoom out and shift the responsibility to the level of the, the community, of the government, of the manufacturers, of the entire food, food chain. And I would like to, to remind us all here that Europe's food safe, safety system, which is well uh, uh, recognized globally, uh, did not emerge from good intentions alone. It was driven by strong and clear regulation, and that's where we meet now. And Domagoy re, uh, was referring to the general food law that set the stage for the European food safety regime as we have it now. And just as the general food law 20 years ago did that, I think that now the upcoming legislative framework that Dorota was uh, referring to for sustainable food systems must make the food systems healthy and sustainable for Europe. Um, and that can only be done through, through strong regulation. And I would also like to, to pick up on what Pika was saying. We must use the One Health Principle as, as a vision, as, as, a, um, as a driver for this change. We must put the health of people, other animals, and the planet in the, in the center um, and away from um, profit as a driver alone. 
Um, Dorota was also mentioning the the open consultations on the on the legislative uh, uh, framework for the sustainable food system. Uh, just a little bit earlier this year, IFA has published also a, a position paper on why Europe needs a health-oriented food policy um, with one health uh, uh, approach as a driving vision. And we there provide very concrete proposals um, on how the farm to fork strategy and the upcoming uh, sustainable food systems law can support all of us, all people, uh, in, in our aspirations to eat healthily and, and more sustainably. And that can only be done through creating health enabling food environments. So that has to be uh, regulated. And also that can be done through a nutrition sensitive agriculture approach. So that's how, how we would see it from, from EPA's perspective. Um, adding more complexity also to a lot of different policies. Um, and just to allow you to also add some of your complexity, um, I will ask you to just briefly go to slide or two and to our next question about uh, policies with the greatest potential to help us transform. Um, because that was uh, a tour de force already. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, and to add to that, I mean, especially, um, while you go to, to uh, Slido and look at that, uh, from our two scientists in the room, uh, the One Health approach is definitely the one that's very important. But um, looking at, at science and the element about having trusted science to build policies mm -hmm. on, is that one where you think uh, currently, maybe for uh, both you, Solvay, and, and you, Pika, that, that we do indeed have policies that are built safely and soundly on science? Uh, no. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> I would like to say yes, but uh, it could be uh, taking better benefit of the scientific outcomes and more, more specifically, like really build on that. But I, I think it's it's part of the process. Uh, uh, I, I see it positively. But I would say it's all about also creating those interfaces between science policy science and also like science consumers I mean all of us how, how these things link again together so there needs to be the interfaces and timeliness that's another thing with these consultations and other ways for different uh, stakeholders and scientists and consumers and, and all the groups to to be involved so like it needs to be possible and timed so that it's beneficial the win-win <laughs> thinking also there that when when to do that so that it actually really can shape uh, policies mm. Lars, may no. i add something yes of course because i, I this yes, is I, a perfect opportunity to also establish a, a good trust chain isn't it domogoy one yeah, no, I think I, I think this is an interesting question about the policy and the science. And of course, the let's say the food safety policies are science-based, but I think we've seen a shift with the farm to fork strategy. Um, that we have seen the areas where we have priorities in the in the farm to fork strategy, really also seeking scientific advice and understanding a bit more on the topics that are just beyond your traditional food chain and that are more in the remit of the One Health approach that, that Pika was talking about. And I, I take animal welfare as a, as a great example. I think there has been a lot of um, emphasis on animal welfare in the farm to fork policy. Animal welfare is not your typical food safety topic that you would think of from the top of your head, but it's a topic where a lot of work has been done in science over the past two years on looking at how 
the transport of animals, the the cages, etc. And there is uh, there will be proposals for um, for um, sort of um, delivering um, a legislative comprehensive revision of the animal welfare legislation mm. uh, next year. And what I find also interesting is that um, all these new areas, well, I wouldn't call them new, but they're very interesting areas for EFSA, because, um, for example, when we ask when we ask people, do they think that the health of plants, animals and environment impacts human health? They all say, yeah, that's a massive impact. But for us, it's a new it's a new type of uh, type of issues that we are dealing with also in communication because these are things where people are actually interested to know more. So you're not just talking about you know salmonella or pesticide residues, but you're talking about something that has a more that has a societal interest, which is which comes from a different angle, which comes from an angle that, uh, that where you talk about sustainability, you talk about. Uh, so it's really, I think, a pleasure to to work on these areas. And I think seeking scientific, uh, what the commission has done by seeking scientific advice in EFSA in these areas, I think is a stepping stone towards also having science-based policies and strategies that are not just, you know, regulations to, to ensure food safety, but are much broader. And I think this, this is something that we've seen. This is a, an evolution that we have seen in the regulatory arena. I, I think you you want to add something? Peter? I would like to add just Look because like now that. now uh, Dromakoi was adding even more complexity to this. So <laughs> I was just wanting to be on his side before you last comment and say like now we are adding complexity. I think we are adding things that are interesting and and this gives opportunities to engage uh, uh, new groups of people and stakeholders actually. So I, I see it as a positive thing. You can see from the Slido <clears throat> also some very interesting, uh, the, the simple solution, just get real. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, just do that. Um, I also wonder that's quite fascinating. Literacy is a diversion. <laughs> mm, interesting. Um, uh, and some other uh, policy areas. Um, literacy is a diversion. Uh, <laughs> Dorota. Well, yeah. Um... <laughs> Could be so. I mean, yeah. So if we if we if we interpret just get real, I mean, there's there's ways to interpret that phrase. Is that is just about? Um, I th I think what's what's probably um, implied here, and I um, and I I can see it in it, but that's just my interpretation. It's like, you know, so so what you give people the information the you educate them uh, on this particular topic, huh? Because I see also a, a point here on general education. Yeah, that's that's also growing. You know, uh, yeah, it could be a part of the health literacy, a kind of wider way of we 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 don't know anymore how to live in these complex societies that are detached from uh, yeah from 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 the reality. But um, uh, yeah, so, so what so what we invest in 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 information, knowledge, education, etc. Uh, if um, at the end of the day, people have only uh, a certain amount of money to um, to 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 afford or to buy uh, food to cook the meal, uh, if they have infrastructure and if they can pay for the energy in the current climate, huh? uh, yeah. So so thinking about healthy and sustainability of of the diets that they provide for themselves, for their children, for the families. Communities is uh, is obviously something 
you, you, you don't think, as, as you said, people just want to, to eat at the end of the day. So perhaps, uh, you know, there is uh, more that we have to uh, look at. And, and here it's just taking it um, uh, out of the narrow zoom on, on you know the consumers, the people, individuals, but looking at the uh, at the supporting systems around that, and that's in the hands of the uh, the governance, the, the the national, regional, local uh, governments uh, um, stepping in, and uh, yeah, and and uh, yeah, looking looking for real solutions for people uh, to 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 allow them, to enable them to, to eat healthily, sustainably, uh, buy on a local market, uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, uh, literacy is diversion. Uh, as you know, um, diversion is a key, key uh, component with any magician. Um, so, so allowing us or diverting us to talk about health literacy, is that perhaps a way of uh, avoiding uh, tackling some of those major issues that that hides within all those policies uh, is a nice detour into uh, uh, talking about literacy and and safe consumers. Milka, it, it is, is it, it just is, uh, a no, time no. to get real instead? Yeah, time to get real. It is indeed drawing, uh, okay, putting responsibility back on the individual. If you say you empower an individual by by education or by by health literacy and knowledge, that's actually burdening the individual with um, with the responsibility. Uh, on the other hand, behavior around food is extremely complex thing, and it cannot be driven only by knowledge. And if you think of knowledge, our food choices are dictated by our. I mean, to make the right food choices, we need to have nutrition knowledge, food safety knowledge, food sustainability knowledge. Even people that work in nutrition and food systems sometimes lack knowledge uh, when, when making their, their uh, purchase decisions. Um, as I said, behavior around food is extremely complex. And, and by that, I mean, it's dictated by cultural, social, economic aspects of, of our existence. Uh, and our choices will also depend on taste, which is still the primary determinant in our food choices, and then price, as Dorota was saying, and then health is maybe only third or fourth, fourth concern, and sustainability, well, I don't know where down the list. Um, so um, we do need to make changes in our food environments such that people can make uh, healthy and sustainable choices and we need to make changes such that people that healthy and sustainable food choices are the cheapest choices and that will take some turning the system upside down and that will take some I'm afraid I have to use the word revolution and Martin will not uh, agree with me but uh, <laughs> or maybe you know like active evolution very fast and evolution we need we I mean we are at the tipping point. If we look into our planet, if we look into our societies, we are at the tipping point. It has to happen now. We have no choice. I would have expected none. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just want, just want, sorry, just very quickly, wanted to add to what Milka said. I mean, yeah, the, the food choices we make are uh, emotional, based on our emotions, and um, and the food industry knows that and takes advantage of that. And one other aspect that hasn't been mentioned here yet is the advertising and marketing, um, and the lack of um, regulation or 
deregulation, I'm sorry, <clears throat> at the moment uh, in, in this field. And um, um, indeed, uh, this being used as a, uh, as a vehicle to put even more responsibility on the individuals by the industry uh, were coming together and uh, 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 instead of um, uh, you know working towards uh, regulatory approaches, legislative measures, etc., uh, coming up with another yet uh, uh, code of conduct uh, for you know response. I know I know that IFA is part of it, uh, of the of the uh, initiative. Uh, it's just a kind of um, uh, yeah uh, that takes time, takes uh, um, a lot of efforts away from uh, from what the science also tells us that uh, um, you know codes of conduct etc. That the self regulation does not work in this particular field, especially when we think about you know vulnerable consumers, children. Uh, advertising and marketing uh, is is a really big big and and, and serious. Uh, problem uh, and now in the digital uh, environments uh, that our children spend their lives uh, yeah so that's that's another piece of uh, work that yeah where we have to really uh, sit on mm. in this yeah, yeah to make sure that our food systems uh, transform towards uh, health promoting ones uh, sustainable ones uh, supporting the health uh, of the people planet animals uh, society. A lot of considerations to be to be uh, had. Domogoy, you wanted to add? Yeah. Yes, I have many things to add, but I will focus on two. So first, I wanted to comment on the education and the advocacy. I think, um, you know, at EFSA, we have, we are, we're quite keen on communication and understanding the evolution of science communication. And I think we need to learn from the past that the reason we shifted from the one-way institutional communication to a more participatory approach was the fact that it didn't work, just saying to people, do this, don't do that. So this was an evolution, a shift that we've already lived through once. So which is why I'm saying that, why, why I agree that education is important, but it's not uh, education coming from institutions to citizens and stakeholders. It's, you know, I, it's, People need to understand the key principle. I mean, people, we, sometimes we talk about consumers as if we are not consumers, right? So, <laughs> uh, so we need to, you know, be exposed and have information available. It, it could be in, in curricula, something on food safety. I totally agree with some of the suggestions of the Safe Consume Project as well, but it's not the silver bullet. And it will not be the solution. And I agree that the solution will come with regulation and, uh, and a more, more holistic thing, because otherwise we risk you're not going to just by sticking something on a product it will not change the, the, the we change the way that we, we all behave. The other interesting point, I think, um, uh, that was discussed is this whole thing about um, the, the, the cost and the sustainability, because um, in a world where in a crisis we live, where cost is becoming probably the first determinant of, of what we are buying. What are we going to sacrifice as consumers? I don't think we will probably sacrifice food safety as a choice because it, it has, you know, we think about it as having a health impact. Will we sacrifice the taste? Will we sacrifice the nutrition if we need to? Or will someone prefer to sacrifice the sustainability aspect and say, well, this is, you know, if I have to choose the, the, the least of it. So, so I think we need to be we need to prepare in what is coming in the upcoming period with cost driving the the food choices that it's not going to be a simple transition because simply it's a, it's a matter of resources and uh, 
it's it, I think we need to prepare for a quite strong interplay of all the factors and seeing which which groups of uh, which segments of consumers will be able to make sustainable choices and maybe if it's possible to make sustainable choices if it will be possible to make have consumers make sustainable choices even with all the resource consideration and i think this is a challenge for all of us working in the in the in this remit for the years to come yeah um and looking at the slider we have uh our two top uh, winners, food labeling, the one that you just said wouldn't actually fix anything, Domogoy. Uh, and then we have the, at least uh, one of the cases here, the farm to fork strategy. And speaking about tipping points, I suppose, Milka, um, if, if um, some would, I guess, uh, prefer that uh, in a crisis situation like we're in, uh, to just be able to produce as cheaply as possible, because that would be uh, the simple way of solving uh, this this issue, people have to eat. Um, yet what you're suggesting is, of course, that there is also a slightly more complex uh, solution that would actually lead the sustainable choice to become perhaps the cheapest option. But um, it also requires perhaps some investment and some hard choices on the policy side. You can't you can't sort complex issues with uh, single simple solutions. We have to work on it all. Pika was uh, already referring to it. We have to work across different stakeholders intersectorally. Uh, we have to attack this uh, this issue from all the sides at the same time. And I think it's also important what uh, what Dorota was saying and what Domagoy was referring to. We need to co-create this system together with people. We don't have consumers. We are all consumers. I, I prefer the word people there. Um, but we can only do so by, by aligning among all stakeholders, and I mean all, um, and by being consistent and, and persisting. Um, just a short reference to what Omagoy was saying about communicating. Um, I said also at the beginning, we cannot afford not to listen anymore. So we have to be we all stakeholders where the discussion happens and we need to talk with people and not at people no unidirectional uh, communication anymore we need to listen we need to hear the concerns we need to answer the concerns the concerns are legitimate even if we don't deem them so um, and we shouldn't be shying away from emotions even in translating science we should try to appeal to the emotion of people. That's what people buy in mm. um, into. Does that also mean, I mean, you've, you've sort of hinted at it, uh, Domagoy, and you, Pikachu, you, Dorota, you've all hinted at this element also about um, that we are mostly talking about the, the health and well-being for people when we're talking about food, but there's also the health of uh, animals. There's the health of the planet too. Uh, to enable a sustainable food system and not just about whether we would like to eat, I suppose, but also what we eat and how we produce it. Uh, are, we, uh, are we good at that at, at this stage um, to balance that too? I would say we are becoming better in that and and uh, so we are we are learning it's it's a new thing for many but uh, but certainly we are learning and i would say one thing just to the previous comment that listening to the concerns but uh, also listening to the drivers of different people and and stakeholders why do they want this change why are they willing to uh, contribute and and take that energy uh, so it's not only a uh, negative concerns it's also uh, 
drivers. What about lobbying invested interests? I'm sorry, I'm just reading out loud, but that was, a, of course, uh, yeah. Uh, the yeah. And about not about lobbying invested interests no. well, that would well, also seem like an interesting topic to dive into though uh, what i wanted to say is that um and i think we all agree here that the um, healthy sustainable food systems and the policies around it um at the eu level is a is already a complex issue it is increasingly getting complex etc uh but then what about the national level then like if it's already complex here and then and it gets down so i think we have to um uh you know give the national governments the regional governments also tools to uh to work in the system and with the system and with the people uh slash consumers uh to 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 make this transition and uh uh, and there are also a number of uh, initiatives at the, at the EU level, the member states level, let's say, that um, uh, build the capacity to uh, to take what's there at the EU level um, and um, translate it into international policies. Uh, one of these is, for example, um, an ongoing joint action on the uh, exchange and the promotion of good practices in the uh, in the nutrition and food uh, policies, uh, best dream up, uh, looking into advertising and marketing to children, uh, public procurement and food reformulation. There is uh, a new joint action in the making as we speak on health determinants, uh, NCDs uh, slash cancer. Um, uh, yeah, the NCDs initiative, Healthy Together. So there, there, is, there is loads of stuff uh, out there. It's also, we have to we have to make sure the link is being made and nurtured uh, between the EU level and the national governments, the, the public uh, public health authorities uh, in the member states, so that we don't only talk uh, in Brussels or in the EU EU bubbles, but um, the discussions uh, trickle down. I know it's not a popular term but um yeah kind of diffuse uh across and in our context uh, uh related and needs uh and meet the needs of the um of the governments to be able for example to stand up to the to the vested in interests and uh, the lobby uh of the mm. of the industry uh and so on and so forth yeah so even if trickle-down economy doesn't work maybe trickle-down policies might Economy uh, of well-being. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, one of the questions from our audience uh, that we haven't touched upon much, but we can just have time to do that a little bit. Um, what we've discussed, I suppose, is about, about uh, our current system in a sudden when, and one of the shifts that we see is, of course, the, the trend towards um, moving away from animals as a protein source and, and towards plant-based um, um, is that then sort of uh, simply uh, one of the solutions? And if so, I mean, are people ready to make those choices or simply just not choosing, I don't know, beef, chicken? It doesn't really mean that the, the plant-based choices that they have are necessarily sustainable, but are they able to, to just simply pick the plant-based and then they're, then they're good to go? Is that uh, is that either the solution or uh, is that just adding another complexity to the issue or a diversion even? Okay, what kind of answer do you expect? The simple one. There is no simple one. Ah. 
No, I mean, I, I don't have insight into data uh, in, you know, uh, how strong is the trend towards plant-based diets. That is the solution, uh, not the solution, one of the solutions uh, for um, the more sustainable food systems, our, our choices. But then again, our choices um, have to be part of a well-regulated environment. Um, the shift, the transition will happen. Um, we need time, we need education, we need um, health promoting environments, but that's not, that won't so sort all our problems. So that, I guess that was a good way of answering that particular question uh, about the, the vegan options. It, it's, it, is, it is also uh, a field with some complexity, um, even though of course it has some solutions. Well, if you think if you think of the land use, water use, uh, and and the rest of the of the factors that you that you use to determine the sustainability of certain food production, some plant-based foods can have more impact on the environment than than you know like animal-based foods, depending on from how far we import them, depending on the way we grow them. I mean, it's a super complex issue, and as I said, even people that work in 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 food systems have difficulties measuring that. Then imagine how difficult it is for the consumers. Just imagine local and seasonal, how difficult that is for people to, to figure out that sometimes something that is local is not more sustainable because just it's not, you know? Um, but, um, you know, like, well, as I said, an another complex issue um, that we need to work on from, from all different angles. So we've been definitely talking about a lot of complexities, challenges, um, uh, as, as Pika might say, um, but thinking then maybe also about, uh, well, solutions, paths forward, uh, so have I. Um, paths forward from, from your perspective, um, instead of adding more complexities, what would be some of the solutions that you would really hope for? Either, uh, I mean, people are listening today that they should try to implement tomorrow or in the coming years, uh, either from your, uh, I mean, in your day job, you of course are a, a good food scientist, but either from Safe Consumer or from Nofema, what would be some of the paths forward or, or ways that we should collaborate more that you would um, have us do? Um. I think, well, you were mentioning regulation as very important, but we should, and it has been also mentioned, of course, the infrastructure uh, and the possibility for people to, to make uh, safe and nutrient foods. Because we have some parts of Europe where people don't have access to running water. When they turn off the refrigerator during the night to save money and so on. So, so I'm afraid now with new yeah, high prices on power, high prices on food, that more people will be in that category that don't have, have uh, the possibility to, to these healthy choices that we are talking about here in Gastein. <laughs> so, so that's something that we should be uh, aware of, uh, that it, it's, it's not only to choose a healthy lifestyle, a sustainable uh, lifestyle for everyone. Uh, we've been talking about uh, education and uh, information for consumers, and it's uh, uh, important. And we, in Safe Consume, we have looked for new ways of education, such as gamification, uh, that 
did work, so we should go into <laughs> into uh, Google Play and, and and look for the safe consume game and check out if you you have a good uh, kitchen hygiene. So we could also look for for new technologies or ways uh, to make safer food or better or make it easier for people to understand what is a sustainable choice and what is a safe choice. Uh, although uh, it's not, it's, it's complicated. So, so it's not one solution. We cannot just have an app and then we're fine. Uh, uh, we have to, to choose this through very many means, uh, both policies and uh, yeah. for everyone. But let me ask you then, Pika, um, key, key paths forward that you would prefer? Um, more scientists, more science. No, I'm sorry, I'm teasing. Not, not only scientists, I would say more collaboration. So I would repeat that word and I would turn, there was the let's get real. I would say let's one health. I would turn it that yeah. way. That would be a way forward. Let's one health. That sounds like a cue for you too, Domogoy. Actually, I was uh, I was the one that wanted to say more science. No, I'm kidding. I uh, No, I, what I think is important and I've, I've, I've hinted on this before is as the food system evolves, as the challenges evolve, evolve, the science evolves, but whatever happens remains science-based. And there, I think there's two components. One is that even if we move to assessing different uh, diets, different uh, the aspects of one health that are not maybe traditional food safety science, the science will evolve and stand to support all the choices and the decisions. But I think as scientific organization where that where, where I'd say scientists enjoy trust in the food chain, the co-creation is critical. So I think the the, jo the job of an institution like EFSA to stay at par with the developments and be prepared to support science where in whatever direction the, let's say the food system challenges go at the same time, really being participatory and uh, ensuring that all, the, and I think I'm quite encouraged by this panel because we have a lot of different actors here this morning. Uh, in this panel, in the room too. yes, as well. And I think we are all discussing. And for me, the the most the the best takeaway of this panel is that I think we are all more or less aligned with the vision. No, so uh, I think seeking solutions will be a joint effort. Very good, thank you, um, Dorota. Obviously, you're kicking off the feast project, so it's kind of hard to uh, to summarize the conclusions at this point. Um, but but since you're kicking off this project, especially that we're talking about Let's One Health and more science, so at least you, you're off to a good start. What what would be your <clears throat> key expectations, at least, to the discoveries uh, from Feast or uh, the current or the upcoming work that you'll be doing? What what are you hoping that we'll definitely uncover um, <clears throat> as paths forward? Well, the, the 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 central part of the of the project is this, yeah, co-creation, as I said, and uh, you know the living labs and uh, looking for uh, innovative solutions, or finding them or inventing them, including the social innovation, uh, so socially innovative, uh, um, uh, you know, tools, uh, programs, uh, initiatives that can be then uh, tested and, and uh, scaled up and rolled out uh, across uh, across Europe. Um, and I think uh, 
yeah, looking looking for the barriers and facilitators in this process with uh, uh, that work for the for the people in in different uh, um, conditions they live. I, I don't want to say that specifically that word for the for the vulnerable populations, the people in vulnerable uh, uh, living conditions or vulnerable situations. Um, uh, yeah, so just the, 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 what are the underpinning behavioral and cultural uh, factors that, uh, that are um, helping people to move along in this, in this transition uh, period, let's say. So that's for the next uh, five years, um, yeah. Or beyond even. Emilka, keep us forward. Okay, very shortly, um, or not. Um, I think we agree that uh, that the change will not come on its own, and that um, that we that if we are to reach healthy and sustainable food systems, they must be regulated will, with the well-being of people in mind. But in doing so, I really strongly believe that uh, taking the one health lens will be critical um, for two reasons. It will help us better understand and appreciate the interconnectedness between the health of people, animal, animals, and the, and the planet, the environment. And also it will help us realize the co-benefits uh, that we can achieve while working towards safe, healthy, equitable, sustainable food system. So that is, uh, what is it, Dorota, your four, four wins. That's what we need to achieve, yeah. Four wins, indeed. Um, well, um, we've uh, been talking a lot about uh, different, um, it, it's, a, it's a tall order, a wonderful menu. <laughs> uh -huh, sorry. Um, and um, we've been diving into a lot of complex issues and, and certainly also <clears throat> some some um, some some unity among you, uh, among uh, a number of issues, one health and science as, as one of them. Um, <clears throat> we'll be wrapping up this session on sustainable food system and the co-creation of them. It's really nice to see uh, as such a huge potential for co-creation uh, across uh, different institutions and borders, uh, especially as the co-creative uh, element is one that we really, really need, uh, as you've been talking about. Um, I find it very interesting to see that uh, some of uh, what we've been, been talking about today is, of course, it, that trust is, is uh, central and essential for all of us, uh, yet some of the focus in trying to build that trust by adding empowerment or uh, adding more education might be, in a way, a diversion in, in trying to outsource the complexities into, to the individuals, when really um, some of those hard choices about sustainable policies are not for consumers, but for people uh, in not standing in their kitchen or in the supermarket making those choices. And yet <clears throat> we want, of course, uh, all of those new policies to be both one science-based and possibly one health-based, uh, looking beyond only, uh, not just the health of humans, but also of uh, animals and the planet too, to do that. But there's energy in the room because we just had a wonderful breakfast and food for thought. And I thank you all for coming, uh, physically or virtually. That was nice. Uh, and I wish you a continued wonderful day.
and let's uh, continue this discussion about uh, sustainable food systems beyond, I think, later today too, Dorota. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Have a nice day. Thank you. Bye-bye.